And let's take our Bibles, turn to the book of 2 Corinthians, where James read from just a little bit ago, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We just sang several songs this morning, and can it be that I should gain an interest in His blood? We sang His robes for mine just now. What wonderful exchange. We sang complete in Thee. No work of mine may take, dear Lord, the place of Thine. I'm so thankful for God's work in completing us. And we sang, Be Thou My Vision, O Lord of my life. I hope that God is your focus in everything that you do. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at some different foundations of our faith. I think it's important as a Christian to be reminded of what we believe, why we believe it, and what God has called us to do. God's given us a great purpose, hasn't He? And I'm so thankful for all those who are serving Him faithfully. I'm thankful for you, thankful for your walk with Him. And I'm thankful for how different folks in our church, as they minister to one another, helping them grow spiritually to be more like Christ. Thankful for those who went this week on Monday to serve over in Louisiana. Thankful for those who are planning to go tomorrow. Many have already brought things by the church to donate. We'll be taking some more items with us. Uh, Brother Simon Peter was out this week. He's in junior church this morning, but he was out this week uh, helping to tarp some roofs over there in Louisiana as well. Thankful for our people just serving in that way. God's given us a reason to serve, hasn't He? And a reason to minister to others. If you were with us last Sunday, we were looking at the life of Job. Job was a man who feared God and he eschewed evil. He's a man who walked with God and God loved Job. And yet Job was a man who still needed God. And that's what we saw last week as we looked at the end of that book is how Job, even though he was such a righteous man and such a good man, he was a man that still had to humble himself and submit himself to God's plan. I want to challenge you this morning about the importance of reconciliation. Because if we forget where we've come from, we will very quickly forget what God has called us to. And we live in a world today that needs reconciliation. You need reconciliation. I need reconciliation. Let, let's make sure the person next to you knows as well. You can look at the person next to you. Tell them, you need reconciliation. Let them know right now. You need reconciliation. We all need reconciliation. Even Brother Dave over here because he doesn't have anybody sitting next to him. Brother Dave, you need reconciliation too. We all need reconciliation, don't we? But reconciliation only comes through Jesus Christ. We're in the middle of a wonderful, exciting election year. I know it's everybody's favorite thing. Amen. Don't you just love seeing all those commercials and hearing all the garbage that goes back and forth? Didn't you want to know where Nancy Pelosi went to get her hair done this week? I mean, didn't that just make your week? I wish we didn't have to mess with any of that mess. But you know what? The answer is not going to be resolved in November. No matter how excited you are about your candidate. Because the White House can't bring reconciliation. And yet, this world desperately wants reconciliation.
See, we as believers have the answer. But as you'll see this morning, the question is not whether or not we have the answer. We know that we have the answer, and we'll see that again this morning. The question is, are we willing to do anything with that answer that God has given us? Are we willing to live in the light of reconciliation? Are we willing to live as reconciled people to God? And are we willing to share that message, as he says here in 2 Corinthians 5, as ambassadors for Christ? It's going to be a simple message this morning, but it's already challenged my heart, not just because I preached it at 9 o'clock, but it's been challenging my heart all week. I hope that you'll listen this morning because we need reconciliation. I want you to look with me. You'll see on the screen it says verse 17, but I really want you to start with me back in verse 14 where James read this morning. Verse 17 is really where our text begins, but back in 14 we get some background that's really important. If we don't read 14, 15, and 16, that 17 may, may not make as much sense because if you're looking at your Bible, and some of you are Bible students, I know that, you'll notice that verse 17 starts with the word, therefore. And you know probably that when you see the word therefore, you need to see what it's there for. So let's go back to verse 14 so that we can get some context coming into verse 17. Look at verse 14 with me. The Bible says, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. So what we're talking about this morning is based upon the love of Christ that He demonstrated to us through His death on the cross. If one died for all, then we're all dead. And we know that's true. Without Christ, we are all spiritually dead dead. And Jesus told Nicodemus, a religious man, that you must be born again. Now Nicodemus struggled with that, just like some people today struggle with that. Well, how can I be born again? Can I enter back into my mother's womb and be born a second time? I mean, that's just a funny mental picture to even think about. Maybe for the mothers, it's a painful picture to think about. But Jesus said, no, if you're born of the flesh, you're flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. There must be a spiritual birth because without Christ we are spiritually dead. Now, with physical death, we think of being gone and forgotten no more. And yet spiritually dead doesn't mean that you cease to exist. It means that you are separated from God. And it is only through Christ that we can have spiritual life. We see that in verse 15. And, and that He died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto Him which died for them and rose again. Your spiritual life is through Christ. And it is for the purpose of now living for Christ. He hasn't given you spiritual life so that you can just go spend it on yourself. He's given you spiritual life so that you can live for Him. Amen. That's why He says we should not henceforth live unto ourselves, but unto Him which died for them and rose again. And verse 16 says, Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh. In other words, we are no longer known just based on our flesh. And I'm so thankful that we're not known just for our flesh. Because your flesh will die, your flesh will fail, your flesh will struggle. But now because we've been saved, we are known 
for what Christ has done for us and in us. And yet there's still many believers or so-called believers today that are known far more for the flesh than they are for the Spirit. But that's not the way it should be. In fact, he said, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh. You see, when Paul previously saw and other religious leaders looked at Jesus when, they, when he walked on the earth, they didn't acknowledge Jesus as God. They saw him as this man that was out speaking against them and their religious positions and trying to take their authority. They hoped that maybe Jesus might overthrow the Romans, and if he did that, then they might throw in with him. But when it became clear to them that Jesus was not interested in overthrowing the Romans, instead he was interested in preaching against sin and showing salvation to their hearts, the religious leaders wanted nothing to do with him. In fact, they wanted to do whatever they could to get rid of him. But Paul no longer knew Jesus after the flesh because Paul had a had an encounter one day with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he trusted in Jesus Christ as his Savior. And now he didn't just know him after the flesh, now he knew him after the Spirit. Yet now, henceforth know we him no more. That leads us to verse 17. Therefore, therefore, based on the love of Christ, Therefore, based on His work on the cross. Therefore, based on the fact that we no longer live for ourselves, we now can live for Christ. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And I want you to notice the first part of verse 18. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to Himself by Jesus Christ. I want you to notice, first of all, this morning, as we're talking about reconciliation, that reconciliation is a miracle. It's a miracle. It's something that is supernatural. It's something that only God can do because He took something that was dead and He made it alive. He took something that was passed away and He's made it a new creature. He's taken things that were old and caused them to pass away. And He's made all things new. In fact, He sums it up right at the beginning of verse 17 when He says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ. That's a miracle to be in Christ. Because the Bible is very clear. There is none that doeth good. There is none righteous, no, not one. So how can you be in Christ if you're a sinner? How can you be reconciled to God if you have sin on your account? Only by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's a miracle. Reconciliation is a miracle. And may we never get over that truth that God did a miracle when He saved you and when He saved me. And if you think it was anything else, you've missed the point. You've missed some of the beauty of salvation. It was a miracle for God to take something that was dead and make it alive. Just like it was a miracle when Jesus laid in that grave for three days and He rose again. Reconciliation is a miracle. 
So if we've been reconciled, it means we are in Christ. If you're in Christ here, it says you are a new creature. God's given you a new purpose. You are a new creation. Notice this reconciliation. It happens positionally. What do I mean by that? It means you once were over here, right, dead, and now you've been put in Christ. Now you're alive in Christ. There's a positional nature to reconciliation. That's very important because you and I know this is true. There are times, even if you've been saved for many years, that you still struggle and you fail and you mess up and you just don't feel like you're the Christian that maybe you know that you ought to be. And if anybody says differently, they're lying to you because we're still flesh. Don't think that, well, surely they've now achieved super Christian status and they no longer struggle because they've just been saved so many years or they've been in church my whole life. They taught me Sunday school. And I'm thankful for my Sunday school teachers. I'm thankful for those that ministered to me. But the longer I live, the more I realize they're not super Christians. They're just people who are trying to walk with God. And they still fail and mess up too. It's important to remember our position in Christ. It'd be like if you were a little boy going out for the baseball team. You showed up and you you came to tryouts and and you tried to hit the ball, but you'd never been on a baseball team before, and so you didn't know how to hit the ball. You didn't even know how to hold the bat right. You put your glove on the wrong hand. You're not sure what to play. But none of that matters if the coach looks at you and says, all right, I'm putting you on my team. Here's a jersey. You're now on the team. Was the little boy on the team because he was a great baseball player? No. Just because a coach looked over and said, all right, buddy, you're on my team. But the little boy came. He said, I want to be on the team. Coach said, all right, you can be on my team. And I'm so thankful that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, that if Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You're not saved because you're a good person. You're not saved because God just knew you had these amazing abilities. And just like that coach said, man, I know that kid. He can hit the ball a mile, so I want him on my team. No, God saved you because he loved you. He did a miracle. And you are in Christ. Just like that little boy now is on the baseball team. He's got his jersey. He's ready to go. He's suited up. Get his hat on. You know, I, I mean, I love watching little boys t-ball. You know, they come out and their pants are too big and their, their socks are falling down and their shirt doesn't fit quite right and their hat covers their ears, you know. It's so, so low or their ears are sticking straight out. You, you know what I'm talking about. And we all go watch them and they kind of run around and chase the ball But boy, the parents are cheering and screaming and yelling and having a good time. Why? Because they're on the team. That's my son. You know, that's probably how God views us sometimes, doesn't it? Our ears are sticking out, you know. Jersey doesn't fit quite right. We're not quite sure of all the words in the song sometimes. We, we mess up when we try to tell somebody what the Bible says. We maybe stumble around a little bit sometimes. We might even still struggle with sin. 
I remember this isn't baseball, but I remember playing soccer as a little boy. And one time the ball got crossed across the field, kicked across the field, and one of the guys on my team got so excited, he just turned around and kicked the ball into the closest goal. It just happened to be our own goal. He scored a point for the other team. I remember playing basketball and seeing a boy get a rebound. And he just turns around and puts it back up. Only he forgot he needed to dribble to the other end and score on his own goal. He was so excited to score, but he put it in the wrong basket. You know, we do that spiritually, don't we, sometimes? But it doesn't change the fact that you're in Christ. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you are positionally in Christ. What a blessing. What a miracle. A lot of people, though, walk around defeated all the time because they forgot that they're in Christ. See, this, this person that's in Christ is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. There's a positional truth to this, but there's also, I would say, a practical truth to this as well. Because practically, this is a process that takes place in our life. So just like that little boy, he's on the team. But it may take a lot of practice and a lot of work before he's ever going to be a great baseball player. And spiritually speaking, you're in Christ. Old things are, you are on the team. Nothing can take that away. But there's also a process of spiritual growth that must take place. Some people think, well, I'm saved. Why am I still struggling? You know, why, why am I still fighting with my wife? Well, because you're saved. Old things are passed away. But now you've got to grow. It's not an excuse to just say, well, oh well. If we get comfortable in our position and don't live in light of the position, but we just sort of use our position to our own advantage, now we're doing exactly what Paul said we're not to do. He didn't save you just to live for yourself. He saved you to live for the one who died for you. Don't use your salvation as an excuse to sin. That'd be like the little boy who says, well, I'm on the baseball team, it doesn't matter what I do now. I can't lose it. Coach isn't going to take it away from me. I'm on the team. That little boy is worthless to that team. And there are some people, spiritually speaking, in their Christian life that aren't bringing what they could to serve the Lord because they're abusing their privileges as Christians and saying, well, I'm just glad I'm in the position, but I'm not going to live practically because of where God has put me. Oh, that... Positional truth is a wonderful truth, and it's a great encouragement to the one who is struggling. But that positional truth can also be one that if we have our own pride and sinful hearts, we can take advantage of. So we must be growing as the old things are passing away and all things are becoming new. This is a process. This does not mean that to come to Christ, you have to get your life fixed up first. But what it does mean that if you are in Christ, He will be doing the work of fixing you up if you'll walk with Him. Notice that idea is summed up in verse 18. And all 
things are of God. This is a work of God. Who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. God reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. Reconciliation is a miracle. But we see secondly here, the second half of verse 18 and verse 19, that reconciliation is a ministry. It's a ministry. Look at verse 18. It says, the second half, And hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. So the way this passage is laid out, he makes a statement at the end of verse 18. He's given to us the ministry of reconciliation. And then in verse 19, he describes for us what the ministry of reconciliation is all about. I'm thankful for that because if all you heard was, well, this, you have the ministry of reconciliation. Okay, Lord, help me. I need more explanation. God makes it very simple for us. That's good. What is, it, what is the ministry of reconciliation? Okay, here's what it is. Verse 19. So God was in Christ because Jesus is God, right? So God was doing His work through Christ. What was He doing? He was reconciling the world to Himself. He, he's bringing these two parties together that could previously not be together because of sin, right? That's why the next part of the verse, not imputing their trespasses unto them. See, if you and I had to answer for our own sin, there's no reconciliation for us with God. Because the wages of sin is death. And if you're dead, how can you reconcile somebody that's dead? They've got, they got to be saved. Got to have their sins forgiven. Got to have their transgressions blotted out so he put us in Christ he didn't put the sins our trespasses the places where we broke God's law he didn't put those on us now he's committed to us the word of reconciliation I believe very clearly here we can see this at the end of verse 18. He's given to us the ministry of reconciliation. He did that work in our life. Reconciliation must first take place in your life. Then reconciliation may be shared with others. You can't carry out your ministry of reconciliation until you've first been reconciled yourself. Imagine with me this morning that you had some great debt. Maybe it was a house, maybe it was a bad business deal that you made, but you had some large debt that you couldn't repay in any short period of time. But after church this morning, somebody came along and said, Hey, listen, I want you to know I found this organization. They have a lot of money. They pay people's debts off to have needs. And if you'll send them this application, and if you'll answer all the questions, tell them what you need and why you need it, you mail it in, they will consider all the applications they get and they're going to award some money to different people to pay off their debt. That kind of stuff happens, right? And, and people send their applications in, you know, one in 10,000 or 
50,000 applications come in and they sort through all these things and they decide who's going to get the money. But even as you send that in, in the back of your mind, you go, well, I mean, I hope, we'll pray, but we don't really have any confidence that our debt is going to be paid. We're not going to have reconciliation made. But maybe, so we're, it's worth a try, right? And I think anybody that was desperate enough would probably try. See, we all have a debt that we can't pay, and that debt is sin. And there's somebody, Jesus Christ, who paid that debt. And you don't have to fill out an application and just hope that maybe He'll accept you. You can come to Him just as you are, confessing your sin, and He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. If you'll call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. Because even though the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Have you received that gift? See, until you've first received the ministry of reconciliation, you can't go about trying to minister that gift to anybody else. And I wonder if maybe the reason many Christians don't share their faith is because they aren't very confident in that ministry of reconciliation that's been given to them. I read this week that 95% of believers never share their faith with anybody. That's the American Christian who has complete freedom to do it. And they don't. Now, that includes the pastors, too, so I'm standing here with you. Maybe we're not as good at ministering the ministry of reconciliation because we need to go back and be challenged about what ministry was first given to us. See, I would imagine if, if you had a large debt and you filed for some grant and the money got paid on your account, that you'd be pretty excited to tell people about it. answered my prayer. He paid off my debt. I owed hundreds of thousands of dollars and I don't anymore. I hear it all the time from people, you know, from time to time someone will say, I had this large medical bill. The hospital forgave my debt. People get excited and they tell everybody, you know, well, how'd you do it? You know, they, they, so I can know. We're more excited about those things than the reconciliation that brings eternal life. He's given to us the ministry of reconciliation. I love what Romans 5 verse 10 says, for if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Amen. What a great verse. See, reconciliation involves removing rebellious and sinful man's enmity towards God. You're over here, God's over here, and God takes all of your mess and removes it so that you can be reconciled to Him. May we never forget what God has done to us as He's given us the ministry of reconciliation, and now He's committed unto us the word of reconciliation so that we can go and share that with others. 
You've been given. God's committed it to you. Why would God entrust such a great treasure to earthen vessels? <laughs> and yet he does. How shall they hear without a preacher? Who's going to tell them? God's given it to you. He's committed it to you. He's taken his greatest treasure, the gospel, and he's given it to you and to me to share. Reconciliation is a miracle. Reconciliation is our ministry. But we see in verses 20 and 21, reconciliation is our message. It's our message. What's your message? For many Christians, their message right now is, I don't like the current situation that I'm living in. For many Christians, it's, well, there's a big conspiracy out there and they're out to get us. Why does that surprise you? For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against rules of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Why do Christians act shocked and surprised all the time that this world is evil? Why do we expect sinners to act godly? Folks, this is not to just look down on them. Because as the Bible says, and such were some of you. It ought to cause us to love them and minister to them. But I've heard and read from more angry Christians over the last few months. Sometimes they're on par with the angry unsaved people. And that's sad. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. God's given to us the ministry of reconciliation. That's our message. Unfortunately, I think we live in a world where sometimes those who are not in Christ speak more of reconciliation than those who are in Christ. Just give me my rights and I'll be happy. Will you? Have we ever been happy just by having more stuff? More things? Just leave me alone and then I'll be happy. Really? Is that where happiness comes from? Just by being left alone to do your own thing? No. True joy comes. True peace comes in walking with God. Don't ever substitute anything of this world, even as good as it might be. And I'm not saying those things are all bad. But as good as it may be, don't let something be substituted for a relationship with God and being at peace with Him. And there is tremendous peace and encouragement and even a sense of feeling God's power working through you as you share the gospel, as you are faithful in the ministry of reconciliation. I get way more excited about having the opportunity to lead somebody to Christ than I do about trying to decide whether or not I have to wear a mask or whether I have to do this or that. I get more excited about somebody being saved. That's, what's, that's what matters. Listen, I love freedom as much as the next person. 
but don't fight for your freedom and give up the ministry of reconciliation. Why? Because it's our message. Look at verse 20. Now then, based on the fact that we've been reconciled to God, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Oh, verse 21. Would you read that out loud with me? This is such a beautiful verse. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. That's our message. He's made you His ambassador. An ambassador speaks the message of his master. We are ambassadors for Christ. Unfortunately, I think the only place Christians even live as ambassadors many times is at church. We're good at talking and sharing that message of Christ with people that we think already agree with us. But where does a ma an ambassador do his work? An ambassador of the United States doesn't do his work in the United States. He does it overseas or whatever country they're assigned to. Yes, you're to be here and worship God with believers, but then you're to go out as ambassadors for Christ. I think that's been one blessing during the last few months because it's pushed Christians outside of the building. And we say, this is the church. This building is not the church. This is a place where the church gathers, meets. It's pushed people out into their communities. I think some people have probably had more time talking with their neighbors in the last few months than maybe they've had in the last five years. Because you're like that guy on the TV show kind of poking your head over the fence at each other, just kind of looking at each other going, are you out? Yeah. Is it safe in your backyard? Yeah, it's safe in Everybody healthy at your house? Yeah. Hey, let's talk. All right. You know, and then we're excited. But we're ambassadors for Christ. You are carrying the message of your master. And an ambassador speaks his message to those outside of his kingdom. I think about this, even as many Christians, we've, we've figured out how to live our worlds inside of a bubble so that we never really have substantive interaction with anybody outside of the kingdom. It's hard to be an ambassador when you never go someplace else and share the message. I mean, it's nice. I, I know ambassadors enjoy this. They love the, the state dinners. They love to have recognition. They love to, It's very natural for even political ambassadors to be this way. It, it, being an ambassador is great, you know, all the perks back home. But where the real work of an ambassador gets done is when they're over in a foreign country. Yeah. And even as Christians, I mean, all right, forgive me because I'm going to stop preaching here for one minute and just meddle. We would prefer to eat barbecue together with just us than to go out and spread the message with somebody else. 
Now, I'm thankful we can use barbecue even to spread the message of Jesus, can't we, Brother Joe? It's good. But how often do we love to gather together? We love to talk about the Lord, and we should. We love to fellowship with one another, and we should. The Bible teaches us to do all those things. But if that's where we stop, then we haven't fulfilled the job that God has given us as ambassadors for Christ. If your Christianity stops at these doors, or it's only lived in private outside of these doors, then you're not a faithful ambassador for the Lord. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us. God is beseeching you. He's, he's calling out to you. He's crying to you. We pray you in Christ that be ye reconciled to God. Have you been reconciled this morning? Do you know that you're on your way to heaven? Do you know that your sins are forgiven and that you have an eternal home with the Lord? I know I do. Then go and share it. Be an ambassador of that. Carry the ministry of reconciliation to this world. It, some of us are going to go to Marble, Louisiana. Why? Because that's a wide open door to share the ministry of reconciliation. These people are hurt. Their roofs are blown off. They got no power. A lot of them don't have water. It's easy for us to see that need, and I'm thankful for those who are going to go and do that. But your neighbor needs reconciliation too. And those kids that walk through your neighborhood that you're not sure what they're up to, they need reconciliation too. All those people on the news that just, you know, out causing trouble, they need reconciliation too. I hope you pray for our leaders. I hope you pray for the people in authority. I hope you pray for those, not just always your imprecatory prayers that God would strike them down. No, pray for their souls. They need Jesus. They need to be saved. And what could be done through one of these leaders in their high place of authority and position if they were saved? and serious about serving the Lord. God could do great things through them. I'm thankful for some of them who are Christians and very outspoken about it. But often they're in the minority and they it's a struggle for them because guess what? They're human beings too. And it's easy to point at the ones even that say they're Christians. Like, well, I wish they'd take a stronger stand. Well, I wish you would take a stronger stand, right? <laughs> I wish I would take a stronger stand. I wish we would be faithful ambassadors for the Lord. But it starts by first realizing we've been reconciled. It's a miracle. God saved me. Now, God, help me to be faithful for you. That last verse sums it all up. Let me just go through it very briefly with you in closing, because if you miss verse 21, you've missed the whole message. For he, who is he? It's God. That wasn't a trick question. It's okay. You're good. God, Christ, amen. For he, God, hath made him, there's Christ, to be sin for us. That's you and me. God made Jesus to be sin for you and for me. And he, as the verse says, knew no sin. But why did he do it? 
this is the ministry of reconciliation, that we, that's you and me, might be made the righteousness of God in Him. God took His own Son and allowed Him to die on the cross with your sin on His shoulders. That's why He had to die. So that He could have a relationship with you. What kind of God sacrifices His own Son for a bunch of filthy, rotten sinners? That's my God. He's a God who loves more than anybody could have ever loved. He's a God who has more power than anybody could ever have because He has all power. He's a God who knows all things. And He's a God who loved us enough to fulfill this ministry of reconciliation in our lives through Jesus Christ. And if you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior, you can experience that today as well. You can trust in Christ today. Not because you're a good person. Not because you've figured out all your problems. But because of what Christ has done for you. And if you have received the ministry of reconciliation, if you have been reconciled to God, then go and be an ambassador for Christ. Let the world know Jesus is alive. That God has paid the debt. We can now go and be with the Lord. That, that's our message. True reconciliation only comes through Christ. We all need reconciliation. This world needs reconciliation. And they'll only find it in Jesus Christ. Yes, there are problems in this world that maybe some political answers can put some band-aids on and fix some things for a while. But these things will always come back. Because the problem is we must be reconciled to God. And we have sin. And only Jesus Christ can do this work. Would you trust Him today? Be reconciled today. Live for Him today. And go from here and be an ambassador for Christ wherever God sends you today. Don't live your life hiding out from those who haven't heard. Go boldly proclaim the message. It's God's message that He gave to you to share and to send. Don't be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew and to the Greek, praise the Lord. And He'll save you, and He'll save all those who trust in Him. Let's be a light. Let's be ambassadors. Let's carry the message, the ministry, and the miracle of reconciliation to this world. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Father, thank You for this day. And for your word that says it so clearly. I pray that today people would hear your message and not just get caught up in anything that I've said today that in any way could have distracted from the truth. But Lord, today that we would hear from you. There's somebody here today that's not trusted you as their Savior. Lord, I pray that today would be the day of salvation, that they would call upon you, knowing that Jesus has done the work for them, but that they must trust in you. And Lord, for each believer here this morning,
And as far as I know, most of the folks listening to me this morning are believers. May we not just go and be good ambassadors to one another, but that we would go out and be ambassadors for Christ in this lost and dying world. We love you in Jesus' name I pray.